Welcome to another episode of Job Tales, the podcast where you find dozens of interviews and learn about your potential future favorite job. Today, I'm with Daniela Dunges. She studied translation and had always at heart to use her language skills as a bridge to connect people and mediate between cultures. She has been active in dialogue and human rights for over 10 years and is now working for a humanitarian organization called MEDAIR. Daniela Dunges, thank you for being here with me at Job Tales. You are officially Christian Communities Marketing Officer at MEDAIR. Very interesting job, very interesting organization. Can you tell me more about it? Yes, for sure. I'd love to. Thanks a lot for inviting me to this interview. So MEDAIR is a humanitarian organization that was founded over 30 years ago in Switzerland in 1989. And it was founded with the aim to create an organization that is really for emergency relief and recovery in some of the most devastated places uh, in the world and and mm. to provide help to people who most need it and the aim is always to go to those places that are the most remote and the most difficult to reach and really help when disaster strikes and help people to recover in dignity is there a criteria to choose the actual the countries that where you go to or the the regions the zones Yes, of course. Um, first of all, um, MEDER is a faith-based, it's a Christian organization, but the work is totally humanitarian. So we adhere to the principles of the Red Cross, which uh, means that it's absolutely, it's about humanity, impartiality, neutrality, and independence. So these are the principles. So the only thing that matters in our work are the people in need. It's totally independent of race, gender, religion, faith, political party, whatever. We go where people need help and where it's important to save lives. No organization can do everything, that's for sure. So mm -hmm. we go to those hardest hit uh, places and we choose the countries, we observe the situations. Sometimes disaster strikes very suddenly, like mm -hmm. the earthquake in Turkey, Syria, We were lucky to be in Syria already at that time, but in Turkey we were not, so we deployed our emergency response team. So that's mm. a sudden disaster. And uh, at the same time, we choose countries according to their vulnerability. There is an index that's called INFORM index that shows to what extent countries might be able to help them themselves. That showed to what extent countries might be able to help themselves. For example, if there is a disaster that strikes in Germany, Germany would be, or Switzerland, would both be countries that are quite capable to, to recover from the disaster, even if it's a severe disaster like uh, the, the floods we had in Germany right. uh, last year. But they can cope. Other countries, they are extremely vulnerable to disaster. If you look at people at the Horn of Africa or Many countries inside Africa or South Asia or countries like Mozambique, uh, I'm just thinking, these countries are extremely vulnerable. People cannot recover when disaster strikes. And that's mm. when, when the death toll rises rapidly. And that's the moment where we try to intervene. And sometimes these disasters can be a flood, an earthquake. It could be a, a pandemic, the cholera outbreak, for example that could can be disasters that trigger an intervention you know mm -hmm. and sometimes these disasters hit countries so hard that it becomes a long-term intervention 
before we can reach a point of recovery. It's not development aid. Development aid is covered by other organizations. For us, for us, it's really saving lives and helping people to recover. Mm-hmm. But these vulnerable countries, sometimes in some countries, we are there since 25 years, like in Afghanistan, for example. That's one of those countries that are so vulnerable that it has become an, a prolonged intervention. Or Congo, or Sudan, South Sudan, you know, these are really serious prolonged crises. When you're talking about disasters, are we referring to natural disasters and, you know, health-related or is also human, you know, provoked disasters? Like All sorts of disasters. And... It can be wars that lead to mass displacement, like in Syria. Mm-hmm. We have been helping the, the refugees in, in Lebanon, for example, or in Jordan. We are present in Ukraine because that's a mm. huge disaster. We've been helping refugees in Poland, you know. So these are the disasters caused by humans, by conflict. But those people in need are the victims of the conflicts, and those people need help. Then another cause could be a natural disaster, like uh, in, in uh, Madagascar, for example, we have uh, cyclones. Every year we have a number of cyclones. So... Mm. In the north, we have cyclones, or in the south, a terrible drought at the moment. So that's a country that faces two kinds of natural disasters at the same time. So we respond in the south by delivering water and building water pipelines. In the north, we have developed, um, in the sense of disaster risk reduction, an early warning system to prevent deaths from, from cyclones for example. Hmm. So it can can mean many things. Earthquake, it can be an earthquake or it can be, uh, of course, in the the areas of health, that's uh, med-air, you hear that the word med is is in it. So we are specialized, of course, also on on the health sector, which means it could be nutrition when they're at the moment, um, the Horn of Africa is, is facing a terrible drought and people are really dying from hunger and, and severely malnourished. So that's where we have health and, and nutrition interventions. Then there are countries where the highest risk for women to die is being pregnant. So that's a situation where we would support women with midwives and you know, so they can deliver in safe environments. So humanitarian aid can mean a lot of things, can happen in a lot of contexts, but it's always when disaster strikes and it's always, you know, to save lives like an ambulance. Mm, okay. So. <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, very broad spectrum. And uh, so you are, as a Christian communities marketing officer, what is your task? Well, I started with Medair in communication. I have um, studied translation uh, in mm-hmm. Geneva. And um, I always wanted to apply my languages for other people. So I never simply wanted to repeat what somebody else says, but I wanted to use my languages actively for, for the benefit of others. So yeah. I was quite engaged in the, in the sector of human rights. I've spent two years in, in Middle East. And now I started also with Medair in the field of communication, which means media work and and communication mainly for German-speaking Switzerland. But I was still missing a bit the touch with the people. And as Christian Communities Marketing Officer, it means 
that I might be invited to go to hold presentation in churches and do what I just did with you, you know, explain what is humanitarian aid, how can you be neutral in, in, a, in a very difficult environment. So, so really, the aim is, of course, to talk about humanitarian aid, raise awareness, make people realize that we are not only in Europe, but there are many other situations around the world where people really need help and solidarity. Another mm. area is, of course, I'm talking about uh, recruitment. When there are many young people in a church, we always need really good, as a humanitarian organization, we need people ready to go to, to areas that might be dangerous and conflict affected by, by conflict. We need specialists in the areas of logistics or in the areas of finance, health, of course. We need nurses, doctors, midwives, uh, project coordinators. We need so many specialists in the field and people. Mm. And I'm, I'm telling people how they can apply, you know, and, and go two years you know, to, to the field and, and help yeah. on the ground. So you do local recruitment and when you go on trips? In some ways. Way. Well, um, as a humanitarian organization, MEDER has a, a number of international staff and then we have national staff. And in the countries we work in, we always try to have, let's say, 10, max 15% international recruited staff and the rest is nationally recruited staff. Why? Because... First of all, local people know the context the best. They have the local knowledge. They have the connections. They are often very well trained. And then what we also we want as a humanitarian aid organization, it's always the aim at some point to exit the country, you know, mm. when we reach a point of recovery. But if we work, let's say, 90% with local staff, then the knowledge will stay in the country That's yes. a very important thing. Yeah, so, but um, we always need also here in Switzerland, we, we need motivated, qualified and uh, good people to, to, to do the job. When I was younger, I was looking at jobs in organizations, you know, humanitarian, NGOs, and I found that it was very highly competitive and it was very hard to get in. Did you have the same experience or not? For me personally, I have a position that is inside Switzerland. I have been in Middle East for another organization, but for Medair, I'm, I'm here in, in the um, support office in, in Zurich. Mm. For uh, the positions in the field, we have a website, you know, where you find all the, the job vacancies. I mean, it is, you need to be qualified to, to apply, you know, and we need stable people to go to the field. If somebody is too young, you know, the, the situations in the field can be emotionally difficult to digest. Mm. So we need people that are emotionally stable to go to the field. But you need to, to apply, you go on our website and then you apply for the relief orientation course, which gives an introduction to the humanitarian work in general and that's a sort of recruitment process where people you know really see how you deal in, in certain situations how you work in a team well we need qualified people right. so so when you're young basically uh, what is your what are your options because of course you don't have the experience so you're not 
qualified per se, but uh, for someone who wants to be in in the field and then work for uh, nonprofit organizations and humanitarian organizations, what would you suggest would be the path? You need solid studies, and um, then you know you have to to. If you check our website, you see that we need people from different domains. We need, of course, health workers. You know, mm. we, if somebody is a nurse and has been working as a nurse for two or three years, you know, then and is interested in going to the field, then that's very likely that that could work. You know, mm-hmm. or if yes. you're an engineer, you know, some of our interventions concern shelters. If you have studied engineering, then that could be highly interesting for a position, you know, in in a shelter project. Yeah. Or wash, if you're a water specialist, you know, that's so important today, water engineers, you know, mm, that yes. could be super interesting. But also finance, you know, all programs need to be financed somehow. So we need finance specialists as well, you know, <laughs> who can... Yeah. <laughs> can do the serious budgeting or we need communication specialists also on the ground because we need to tell the stories that we hear in the field. So we need local communication officers that are ready to go to and cover a certain region. You know, for example, a Middle East person would cover maybe Lebanon and Syria and Jordan, different countries, write stories, write reports for our donors so there is no restriction. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. you know, it is competitive in the sense that you apply for the rock, but there is a high demand for the, this relief orientation course. So they don't take everybody. They take people where they really have the feeling that they are serious about the interest in going to the field and that are stable. In your case, uh, how did you enter the world of uh, the humanitarian well, for me, I was already in, in quite active in, in human rights and communications. So that was the opening door. And Medair was looking for a person to cover the communication for German-speaking Switzerland. So that was quite net, came natural. natural. You know, the, were you like volunteer, a volunteer no, when you said no. that you were active? Well, in human rights, it was part on a volunteer base. And then through this volunteer engagement, I found a job with a with a German organization that sent me to Middle East for two years. Mm, okay, okay. So from from that, then you did... So you did your studies in languages, you said? Yes, I did study translation. Translation, and that was at university? Yes. Okay, and then with your languages, then you, you started pretty much immediately to, to work in the, uh, in, let's say, in the humanitarian field. First in human rights field and human then rights, now okay. in the humanitarian field. Human rights and humanitarian are quite different. They have the yeah. same aim to aid people, <laughs> for yeah. sure. Humanitarian aid is neutral in what we do. We don't take sides. We are not political. Human mm. rights can be political at some point. Okay, I see. Thank you. <laughs> that's important also because for maybe for some young people who are not in the in the field but would love to to enter that's uh, that's definitely important and um, so when you know looking back because now you've been um i guess a couple of decades in the industry i'm guessing and you can tell me if i'm no, wrong but... i'm not i'm not <laughs> okay okay <laughs> i have a quite unusual cv you know i studied translation next to my family <laughs> 
I already had kids and oh, I was okay. living, you know, as an expat in, in Geneva area and I just wanted <laughs> to do something with my time. So okay. next to family, I went to university and did my, my bachelor in multilingual communication and then my master's in, in translation. But immediately I found my interest that languages are something that connects people and builds bridges. So I had a high interest in Middle East and dialogue. I studied some Arabic also, you know, in course of my master. And mm -hmm. um, so my aim was, I don't simply want to repeat what somebody says, mm. but studying translation makes you an expert in languages and in communication. So, and this you can very well, you know, apply also for writing of reports, articles, holding statements, holding presentations. It helps in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and so based on your experience, uh, what do you say that the, is required of a candidate uh, to, to, be, to enter the humanitarian aid world? What are the skills that you would say are paramount? It's a, well, let me think about that question. The thing is, it depends if you want to work in, in, H, in, in the headquarter or in, in the field you know, or on mm -hmm. the ground in a project that that's certainly different okay. um, but if you want to a, a deployment for two years let's say to south sudan or something the first thing is well be if you're younger than 25 years then it depends but um, you you might be still be extremely sensitive you know to to certain environments so we, we prefer to really to, for people to be emotionally stable. Or if you've gone through, let's say, through a very bad divorce, you know, then we would tell people, listen, it's maybe good if you wait a year or two until you really have digested your experience and then you go to the field. But the most important skills, you must be a good team player for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's uh, highly important because if you're in a project, you know, you never know the circumstances, but you must be able to, to work in a team. Yeah. You must be organized and mm -hmm. you must be serious and reliable. You know, we work in highly sensitive contexts. You must, well, and it really depends on the area you want to work in. You know, as I, as I just said, you, it can yeah. be a nurse, it can be an engineer, it can, it can be... All sorts of jobs are needed in, in the field. So I can't, but when it comes to the technical side, you know, we need a yeah. lot of things. Yeah, of course. And then how about flexibility, like in time, for example, do you need to give uh, your availability, you know, being able to be on call uh, for, you know, or maybe from six months to two years, depending on what uh, the project requests? Well, usually it would be for two years. Hmm. You know, the, the, the standard, it depends on the job. There are also short-term deployments. Yeah. You know? But uh, the standard, I would say, the you know, the initial thing would be two years just because you even when you're on the ground, you need a certain time, you know, to introduction and, and to learn on, on how things work. You know, and if you just stay six months and you need three months or <laughs> just for induction, <laughs> you know, yeah. that would be a lot of effort. So we would standard, I would say, two years. But if somebody already has some experience, you know, 
then it could also be shorter term deployments, but not two weeks deployments, you know, that wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. Yeah, of course, there's also a lot of preparation, I guess. And and coming back, is there a support, like psychological support and, uh, you know, like the after mission? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, there, there must be support, you know, because uh, we must care for our people. That's one of our, our values, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. that we we must make sure that our people are okay. So... Even us, as you know, who are working in Switzerland, we have the offer, you know, that in case we, we suffer from some psychological strain, there is a hotline that we can call. Yeah. There is a service. Okay. And what do you enjoy about your profession? What I enjoy about my profession, I really love the team. We have an amazing team. And, and that's great. I love the spirit of uh, Medair. It, it, uh, you can really feel the, the values of Medair compassion and hope and uh, you know we have, we have seven core values and you can really feel that that in our our, our work and how and that makes a difference i love that about medair but you can feel that everybody in the organization has the people at heart yeah and the those people in need are at the core of everything we do and that opens the horizon you know beyond what we you know what beyond neighbor's garden you know it really opens the eyes to the world you see you see there is much more than just our our surrounding you know and it's a higher cause if you want you know so yeah it's a yeah, different sure. perspective on life than than just uh, normal everyday life do you find something particularly difficult in your job? Well, the humanitarian context is always difficult, you know. Mm. It's challenging to, to work in countries where there are conflicts, you know, and being totally neutral, you know, mm. and not taking sides. I see. That is challenging, but it's absolutely crucial for us in order to do our, be able to do our work, you know, and move between front lines if needed. Yeah. Well, it is a lesson you have learned from the past a lesson i've learned from the past oh, hey. <laughs> I, really don't know. I don't know how to answer that question <laughs> something that you maybe that you well, wish you had a, known a lesson, before a, a lesson I've, i i don't know a lesson i've learned is that it can be frustrating when you see the amount of work sometimes you know you see the extent of the disaster when you see the images you know from syria for example this this giant earthquake you know and over 50000 deaths or you mm. see a political situation and 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 you can't change the the entire situation and you wish you could you know the yeah. the suffering is so huge but so so that's extremely challenging and burdening but i guess you know the starfish story you know that that you can make a difference, you know, even if it's small, even if you have one person, you know, or sometimes just being present makes a difference, you know, or sometimes yeah. just compassion makes a difference. So it's, you can make a difference, even if, you know, it, the disaster might be maybe big, but you can make a difference. And that's, that's huge. And, and my favorite saying is, you know, if, you think you're too small to make a difference, then try sleeping with a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> and um, I would say a last question is, if you go back in time, what would you do different? Or would you do anything different mm. in your life, a professional life? You know, in hindsight, we're always yeah, smarter yeah, and wiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Maybe I, I wish I would have started earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were a mom. You were a, a full-day uh, mom. Uh, for a full, while. Full-time for, mom, yeah. yeah. For, for a while. For a while, okay. But at the same time, I don't regret the time I, I spent there with my kids. So. With the kids. It's precious. It's yeah. extremely precious, so there, there wasn't much of a choice, you know. Yeah. But maybe I should have studied languages earlier. I didn't, I hated languages in school. I never knew I had a gift oh, in, that, really? <laughs> in that area, you know. So, you. Um, so I never thought, you know, I always hated French in school. And then suddenly I had to live in France and I could only say, do you speak English? <laughs> so it's definitely a regret that I didn't take languages seriously. Mm, before okay you know and then when i in the end you know suddenly i found that i love it and that it's easy even coming easy to me <laughs> languages you know and, and that was a surprise and uh, i've been teaching then for a while i've been teaching then german in a french speaking school and i always told my students you know look at me you know never say never you know <laughs> even if maybe now you don't want to learn the language or the german it can fall back on you so beware <laughs> yes. yes so for sure not having uh, had a focus on languages i would say that's a regret yeah well i thank you very much for your time daniela it was very very nice and interesting and um and keep up the good work at medair thanks a lot and hope that maybe many would like to to come and join join us Yes, and I'll put the website so for people who want to read more about uh, the, the the organization, for sure. Super, thank you. Ciao, ciao. Bye. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Do you want to learn about a specific job? Or you have someone you would like to recommend for my next episode? Then write me at jobtalespodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned and keep well.